0: And uh, let me do a little housekeeping. Uh, I want to say Barbara and I are very excited to be here to see you. I can't believe I keep getting asked back. (laughs) I can't believe you keep showing up. (laughs) James is coming. Oh, we're going on vacation. No, no. Um, First, before I get started with the message, I want to give you a brief report. On what you've been praying for for Kenya and what God did there back in February, uh, if you want really more details, ask Matt Holmes to send you a copy of the newsletter I sent him, and it's got quite a bit of details in it. But um, God's grace is so amazing. Um, in 2014, I had got invited by the PCA evangelist, believe it or not. <laughs> Who knew that I, I would end up being the evangelist for the Southeast Alabama Presbytery? Uh, that's official. That's not made up. That's official. <laughs> and, uh, and representing the mission in North America, I'm on staff with them. And uh, such a privilege. And he said, We need you to go to Kenya and forerun for our evangelistic festivals. And you will go into the villages and you will speak to people and gather them and stay there five days doing that. And then our crew will come in. then we'll have a five night festival uh, for people to come and hear the gospel. And I, you know, and I'm like, you want me to go by myself to Kenya and do what? Go out in the jungles and villages. And I said, "Okay." (laughs) And uh, God's grace, long story short, we got there and i met some wonderful people there it just felt like going home and family and and people would come out to hear the come hear the black american and they would gather in different villages i think we encountered about 30 40 villages as a team and when i would show up about 500 to a thousand people would gather and they would respond to the gospel And we'd invite them to the festival, and some of them walked 15 miles to the soccer stadium every night to hear the gospel. 15,000 people showed up as uh, the For His Glory leader shared stories about Jesus. And people, I'll never forget, hundreds of people standing, being drenched in the rain, standing there praying to receive Christ, would not move, would not leave. So I met Elijah O'Darrow. He's Major bishop there, that's part of the culture. I don't have time to explain all that, but but it's it's necessary for him to be what he is. And he made a friendship with me and showed me, uh, took me to his orphanage, and I saw 200 orphans there. They were drinking one cup of water a day and eating from um, just one plate of food, this small plate of food. And it was just out in the middle of nowhere, just dirt. And they're trying to have school and they built these little tent things and and tin, And and I wept and I wept and I wept. And we called out to God to help us to uh, get money for water tanks. And we were praying for facilities to have school. There and a place where they could actually eat and have food and electricity and and get a water pump and make it successful. So he's been asking me ever since then um, to come back. And in the meantime, someone read my newsletter and sent five thousand dollars to get water tanks. And he said he said to me on the phone before I got there, you need to return what you've started you ought to see what God is doing. So when I got there this time in February, I was able to go with him and see a three-story classroom building and a large fellowship room with, with the orphans in it, and I was able to greet them and bring them soccer balls, and they had a place that would fit, feed four to 500 people, the... Uh, the community would come out for it, and uh, he's providing electricity there, and uh, and they have a water pump, and my eyes were able to see, he said, look up, and there was the five water tanks that God had provided. He said, it started with that. So when we returned, he was wanting me to train pastors, and we got there, and it was 150 pastors and leaders showed up for uh, training. They came from far away, and, and we would meet for four days. And my nephew and I were there, and he uh, got there before I did because I had tested positive for COVID, and they wouldn't let me on the plane. And I had two doctors tell me there's no way I would get approved to go on the flight because the, the it was dormant still in my body, and that even though I was cure, cured, i <laughs> um, cured, I love cure. <laughs> that there's no way in the world I would test negative because of the dead cells. And I said, Lord, I need you to give me a positive test. And, and sure enough, a week later, I got a negative test, and I've tested uh, negative four times since then because I had to test to come back. <laughs> and so I'm here. And we got there, and those pastors were loving me talking about Soteriology, the study of salvation, what regeneration was, what justification was, and what basically sanctification is that process of becoming more like Christ. What justification is is basically Jesus paid in full for your sin, and if he paid the full debt to Stelesti, paid in full, and you got the receipt. Somebody pays off a million dollar bill for you. You shouldn't be running around going, oh, what am I going to do about that bill? You just go look at the receipt. And I said, and the receipt is your is the cross. And they were just jumping up and down. And then my, you know, an evangelist. So in the afternoons, I said, we need to talk about person to person evangelism. And even though you may not feel the gifted to be evangelist. And train them in that. And we went out on that Friday, about 100 of us or so on the streets, and people were sharing their faith, some for the first time. And we saw about 20, 30 people come to faith that day. And about 10 of them showed up for church. But in the meantime, um, how much time I got for the sermon? Because I'm reporting too long, am I? In the meantime, the pastor tells me the student's had heard we were there, and they had some of the top girl schools and boys' schools. They were like boarding schools, and they would have 1,900 students at one school, 4,000 at another, 3,000 at another, and they wanted us to come and share the gospel, and they they set up special services. So long story short, um, we together, Tommy and I, shared with about 8,000 students, and hundreds of them just gave their life to the Lord, and— uh, he shared he personally shared with a thousand men, prisoners, 500 women prisoners. And and what was interesting to me, the women are raising their children in the prison with them. So it is an interesting situation. But God used us and God blessed it. And it was because you guys have been supporting us and praying for us. I want to say thank you very much. That's my Kenya report. Uh, the follow up to our report is. I came back with a dashiki i was gonna wear it today but i think it was too hot to wear long black dashiki so uh it's kind of formal but i did did bring my kenyan belt so if you want to see it i got it on (laughs) it's my prayer belt um so i was wearing a dashiki at general assembly and the new african-american movement leader and now there are 63 teaching elders who are black in the denomination you say well that's a big deal 2063 well uh, 1991 when I first showed up there was three <laughs> so, so 63 sounds pretty good to me now and the new movement leader says how did you get that shirt and I said I was in Kenya He said, you were in Kenya what were you doing and I said what I was doing he said you're taking us and so about 10 of them to 12 of them I think are signed up to go with me back next February so you can be praying for that and and now the, Bishop Elijah said the excitement got so excited about us coming, and the group that's being brought. So now there's a there's an East African conference that's going to happen because the pastors from Uganda, the pastors from Tanzania, and all of the East African pastors in the region want to gather for a conference. 200 to 250 of them want to come and encounter God's word and deepening of the word. and and and, and he said. Our biggest thing we want to do, we want to go out two afternoons this time, sharing our faith person to person. Isn't that good news? So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to John. Thank you for being patient with me to give that report Uh, to John chapter four. Um, I know that's not in your bulletin. John chapter 4, about a couple of weeks ago, the Lord put on my heart that I I should change the message. I just thought, oh, I've been doing this. I'll just do the same message I've been doing for others. And he was like, no. So this week it really became more solidified in my heart. And uh, so actually, I'm going to read from 34 to 42. But that's not what the sermon is. The sermon is the entire chapter of... uh, John 4, from verses 1 down to 34. Um, But I'm reading to you the conclusion of the sermon. So I'm starting at the end. This will be the conclusion of the sermon. So in John chapter 4, I'm using New American Standard. John chapter 4, verse 34 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he he who reaps is receiving wages And is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39 From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He has told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to say, stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his words, his word. And they were saying to the woman. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one, Jesus, is indeed the savior of the world. Father, we need you. And we need your help today. And we need your grace today. Father, we want to be reminded of your mission And how we are part of that call and God, you would grant us the grace to be committed to you and following you and being proclaimers of your gospel, being on the same mission you were on to accomplish your will, accomplish God's will for your glory, Lord. So remind us now, refresh us now, please, if there's anything you want to say to us, uh, please use the speaker speak through him father please speak to him in many ways speak in spite of him grant us grace oh god jesus in your name amen so if you can stroll back up to verse one if you have a bible app and if you got your bible just look just look up the page interesting thing happened to me in 1977 there was a guy named Dave DeHuff um, from New England, He, well, Philadelphia area, and he was with Campus Crusade, and he had been working at universities in the South. And some initiative came forth that someone needed to start going to black campuses, places like Jackson State University, uh, the, the alma mater of Walter Payton, um, and where... Uh, uh, what's his name, they call him, yeah, Deion Sanders is now the coach of the football team, which I can't wait to go visit. <laughs> and And he decided to be the one to go. And he came to that campus, and I want to tell you, Dave was crossing all kinds of barriers when he made that decision. First of all, he's New England, so he's He's a darn Yankee. He didn't know it. (laughs) And then then he's coming to an all-black university, which is different than a white university. And then he's trying to learn the, the culture and language of college students. But also now he's got to deal with a culture and language of the football team. And he's walking in this football dorm, and he doesn't know anything about black racism because... Jackson State had been a big part of the civil rights, and they still had, you know, leftovers from that. So so the football team had turf, and they wouldn't even let students walk in front of their turf without beating them up. And so here he comes walking into the dorm, white and by himself, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I got to help this guy. He doesn't know what's going on. But he's crossing the barrier. What would make a man... Take those kind of challenges, move out of his comfort zone like that. What would cause him to be so committed to do something foreign to him? He had never really met anybody black. I mean, he had worked with Hispanics, but nobody black. And in he walks the dorm, he sees me. I thank God they crossed those barriers. So the night before I had made a decision, I would take my own life. He didn't know it, but he came and shared something with me I had never heard. And that was the gospel of grace. And it changed my life. And I'm standing here before you today as a representative of that gospel because Dave was willing to cross those barriers. I want to talk to you today about crossing barriers to the gospel of grace. Being a willing servant to cross whatever barriers that keep you from sharing the gospel of grace, living the gospel of grace, loving people through the gospel of grace, demonstrating God's gospel, allowing it to be seen in you, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory for this entire world. Because we live in a world that is dying and lost and more confused than it can ever we could ever imagine, when I was a child, I just couldn't imagine I would see the things I see now. And I understand what Peter meant when he said, "Be saved and be delivered from this perverse generation." We are the hope for the world. We're God's answer. This is Jesus' mission. He's the first evangelist. He's the first missionary. He says, I come to do the will of the one who has sent me to accomplish his work. And he said, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel. That was the first thing that came out of Jesus's mouth. And we in the church, um, I'm not going to jump us, but it seems like historically the church is focused on everything. And these are good things. But the priority that Jesus had. We're going to be like Jesus. What was his number one mission? The gospel. You can see it. If you read the Bible and put the gospel lens on, you will see that Jesus focused on, talked about the gospel more than anything. And we focus on reaching the poor. That's a good thing. But he said the gospel to the poor. We focus on reconciliation, which is a good thing. But it's the gospel that helps us reconcile. <laughs> we focus on this form of worship, that form of worship, worship is cool, but it's got to be gospel-centered that draws people to the kingdom. And so there are barriers. There are barriers. There are barriers. There are barriers from others. There's barriers internally. There are things in in me that there's something in me that just says, I don't want to do that. And we got to move past it. So in this chapter. I want us to review real quick. I used up a lot of my time today. Y'all gonna have to extend me a few. I had to give the report. Okay, I had to give the report. (laughs) All right. We're gonna look at 10 barriers that Jesus crossed in this passage. Oh, you said, wow, 10 point sermon. Don't worry about it. It's It'll be painless. Trust me. It'll be painless. So if you start with me in verse one, therefore, when the word, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing them, but his disciples were, he left Judea because he didn't want all the confusion. He didn't want the early focus on himself and people were getting carried away. He knew that was too quick, so he. When any kind of focus like that would come up, he would he would try to get away from it as quick as possible. So he 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 decided to to leave and he went away again to Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. I like the King James. It says he need must go through Samaria. Now, when he goes through Samaria, did he have to go through Samaria? Yes and no. The direct route to Galilee, and that's what—that's part of what this is talking about. The direct route is straight, it's short. You have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. And so the first barrier that Jesus crossed was geographical barrier. And let me show you what I mean by that. It was the custom of the Jews. They wouldn't go through Samaria. They would get to Samaria and then go east, cross the Jordan, get all wet and everything, go all the way up the other side of the Jordan, cross back Jordan into Galilee just to avoid Samaria. So the first call we have is to cross the barrier of geographics. you got to go to where people are. You have to be willing to just go to your neighbor next door. Um, I was afraid of my neighbor for a long time. I moved into a new neighborhood. He's a big guy. He's a mechanic and and I drive by and I blow and he's, mm, he grunt, you know, <laughs> I just wave, mm, no waving. I'm like, man, this dude is just not friendly. But somehow I got the courage. And uh, we were out talking about this new church and we were inviting people. I said, I'm going to go invite him. So I invite him. And lo and behold, he showed interest. And I ended up sharing the gospel with him. And the man prayed with me right there on the spot to receive Christ. I encourage you. Be willing to go geographically. You, you, you may not be called to go to Africa, but if God wants you to be willing, do it. Maybe you're just called to go to your classmates. Maybe you're just called to have some parties and have people come over for dinner and bring the subject up of Christ. Maybe you're just called to meet. I had a friend who started a church in, in uh, where the Mormon tabernacle is down the street from it. Just meeting people and buying them a cup of coffee and sharing the gospel with them. Maybe, maybe. So Jesus didn't worry about that barrier. He went straight to Samaria. But he also had a reason to go because he had, the word there was die or day, day, must go. Spiritually it was necessary. The gospel must go forward. The gospel must spread abroad. It shouldn't just come to Israel. It should go to the entire world. And we're going to start with Samaria crossing this line here. And so Jesus crossed the line by intentionally going. One of the things you notice that when you go and you're scared and you don't want to go, but when I got to Kenya, there were some providential relationships that happened. And that's what's happening right here. We see God's providence is already in motion. Continue with me. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So really, Jews should have been comfortable at this place. This is probably that, I mean, this is family stuff. So he just happened to be there. So Jesus, being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the six hours. So it's high noon, and he goes and just sits at a well. Who goes and sits at a well at high noon (laughs) with nothing to draw with? (laughs) You get the idea he's waiting for somebody. There was a divine appointment. God has so many divine appointments for you. I was telling people Wednesday night, your testimony is the testimony that people need to hear. There are people I will never be able to share the gospel with, but you share your story with them, they will hear. Divine appointments. So he's there, and lo and behold, verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He crossed the gender barrier. Women were, let's just say they were looked down upon in the culture. And you certainly wasn't supposed to speak to him. And he initiates by saying, give me a drink. Give me a drink. May I have a drink? And he's crossing that gender barrier to let us understand because, you know, the men tend to be the theologians and the philosophers and and they're the important people. But the kingdom of God is so inclusive that women are equal to men. That's good news. That's good news. And by gender, let me quickly tell you what I mean is, biologically, people are born in two categories. You're a human being. You're either a human being that can have a reproductive system, that can reproduce and have babies, or you're a human being that can contribute to that process. There's only two. And whatever pronoun you want to assign to yourself, you are still a human being. And whatever human being you are, however you want to define yourself, in the end, in the last day, you're going to need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to spend some in eternity, no matter who you are. And so the quick question I have for you, have you ever given your heart to Christ? Can you say right now, 100%, I, I, I tell people, on a scale from 1 to 10, what number would you give it? Uh, 9, 8, 10? If you say 9 or 8, you're not sure. If you want to be a 10, just ask Jesus Please show me how to be a 10. Come into my heart. So Jesus is setting up this Samaritan woman to become a 10. For verse 8, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Therefore, what is it about the disciples and me? Important things are going on. I'm always looking for the food. They are looking for the food. <laughs> Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, she said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman. So she already knows he's violating the cultural mandate. He crosses the cultural line. That's number three. It was, it was, it was just not cultural to do that. And, and, and also, she recognized he was a Jew from his language and dress and 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 Jews had a, 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 an assignment for the Samaritans. They were dogs and unclean. And so he was also violating a religious law. That's number four. Because she says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It literally means they don't exchange the same vessels. You were asking me to drink from my vessel. You're going to drink behind me as a Jew? Jews don't do that. And they, they had a law saying that. But they also had a law, according to the uh, commentaries, I got this from commentaries, that you don't even eat or associate with a Samaritan in a friendly fashion. Wow. They had racial biases. That's, y'all help me keep up with the numbers. Is that number four or five? That's number four? Five, number five. Thank you. The last thing we need in the church, the last thing people need to see in the church is we got biases. White to white, black to black. Black to white, any county. The gospel is so big. The gospel is so important. The gospel of grace is the only answer for the world. And we say we are followers of Jesus Christ. Well, look at what he does. He says to the Samaritan woman, hey, You included. This is not exclusive. I'm God Almighty, and I've come down to where you are because I care about you. Because I know you're a broken, hurting woman. I know you've gone through abuse through men. I know you're coming to this well at a time when nobody else would come because you're isolated and you're outcast. Because of your immoral lifestyle. But I want you to know I care. Because this gospel will give you eternal life. We have words of eternal life. We can't let barriers, hindrances, confusion in our own hearts about culture and politics and stuff. Keep us from sharing this good news of grace. Grace is undeserved favor, God's mercy when you need it. I don't know what you're going through, but I've gone through some challenging times in my life. And I'm telling you, I was in some dark holes and I didn't see my way out, but I cried out to Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm standing here strong and confident that he has carried me and will continue to carry me until he takes me to be with him in glory. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm a 10, 100 percent going to be in heaven. Come on, get with me. So that was number five, right? Six. All right. (laughs) So Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That sounds like a bunch of spiritual stuff. Living water. Him who asks will give you a drink. He'll give you a gift from God. Jesus crossed the barrier of bringing spiritual stuff up. Let me say it slow. I I need to do it British English. (laughs) Jesus crossed the barrier of having conversations about spiritual things. (laughs) Somebody's got to bring it up. Guess who's not going to bring it up? The ones that don't know about it. But those of us who, whom he has been revealed to, this is our mission. So he initiates the conversation. So what was her response? That's very number seven, right? Uh, Verse 11, she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. And where do you get this living water? This woman is like, you're not even practical, bruh. And she literally says, you don't have a rope bucket because literally it it literally says a rope. She's brought a long rope with her because the well, according to Dr. Kistelmacher, my professor, when he's teaching this, the well was 115 feet deep. And she would lower the bucket and she said, you have nothing to draw with, nothing to drag the water up with from that deep. Get that cool water from way down that, that spring under the ground. And how are you going to get living water? She's thinking he's talking about physical living water. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Uh, you who get, who gave us the well and drank it himself and his sons and cattle. So now she's kind of ridiculing him. But Jesus is crossing the barrier of ridicule to the gospel of grace and she is claiming she has all the things she needs physically for the deep well but Jesus is now coming to her and saying I want to draw you no one comes to the father except God drags him draws him it's the same word is used in John 6 God drags him. The same word she uses here is the same word that God drags him from. God has to draw us, drag us. Jesus says, I'm here to draw you from the deep wells of the sin in your life. I have everything necessary to draw you up out of that deep, dark place. So he says to her, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. So he's creating that, that need, that, that hunger. Because he's wanting her to understand that there's more to this. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. Never thirst. That's eternal language. That's spiritual stuff. But the water that I will give him will become in him or her a well of the, a well of water springing up to eternal life. There's the gospel. He's preaching it. You can ridicule me all you want, but you don't have this. I do. <laughs> and I'm the answer. And we do. So that was number seven. So he leads right into number eight is Jesus crosses the barrier of discussing the sin issue. Uh, nobody wants to talk to people about sin, right? But look what Jesus does. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all this way here to draw. She's still thinking physical. He says to her, go call your husband. Uh-oh. Now, see, Jesus, nobody asked you to start meddling. now. you you getting all in my business. See, I know from my side of community, you don't get in folks' business. They, they'll get you scraped, scrape. not not straight, but scrape. And they look at you. You better come correct, bro. So call your husband and come here. So he didn't judge her. He just put her in a position where she had to fess up. And that's what we're doing when we're bringing the gospel out. We want to help people see you really are a sinner. You really do need God's grace. And so we have to bring that issue up. And so I, I encourage you to listen to this YouTube video. Somebody sent it to me last week. Living Water, this guy rides around with his dog with his shades on. He's got shades on. He interviews people, and this young man was saying to him how he was a good person, you know, and he was okay. And he, so he asked him, said, so uh, have you ever told a lie? He says, yeah. He says, and well, what does that make you, a, a person that lies? A liar? He says, well, have you ever stole anything? Yeah, of course. Everybody asks, well, what does that make you? A thief? And he says, well, have you ever had any immoral relationships? And he said, yeah, well, then that makes you an adulterer. You've broken God's commandments. And so, uh, what would that say? You're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. And he started weeping. I, you, I'd encourage you to read, the, look at the video. But that's why we have to cross that barrier to help people see where they are. So the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. She was honest. And Jesus said to her, you have answered correctly. You have uh, you've had five for you have had. I'm um, excuse. Me. You have no husband for you have had five. And the one whom you have now, uh, the one you now have is not your husband. She was doing what a lot of people do today. We used to call it shacking up. This is you say you, you have said truly. And the woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you go to Grace Clanton Church. You, you, you're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You, you're a preacher. You're a prophet. So a lot of commentators say she's trying to smokescreen him here. I think she just had questions she had been wanting to ask. And then here's somebody that's really seems very, uh, spiritual. So She wanted to get some stuff cleared up. She said, our fathers worship in this mountain and your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus answered her. This is the next obstacle, isn't it? Number eight. Huh? I'm on on eight. We We want to clear up the confusion about the Bible and the gospel for people. We want to cross that barrier of confusion about the Bible in the gospel. So look what Jesus does. Verse 21, Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in the Jerusalem will you you worship the father. You should worship what you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So he's basically telling us from the covenant of Abraham on, it's about me. It's about Christ. And you guys only believe the first five books, the Pentateuch. But it's deeper than that. And but an hour is coming. So, But get this. Understand this. An hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the, the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. It's not in a place. It's not in form. It's not in a denomination. It's in a personal relationship. It's his spirit into your spirit. Then you can spiritually worship. So he concludes with verse 24. God is spirit. See, you, you, you have to have a relationship with him spiritually. You have to be, as he said in the chapter earlier, born again, born from above, born from God's spirit. It's like the wind that blows. You can't tell from whence it comes or where it goes. So is everyone born of the spirit. To worship God. And then when you do that, you can do that. You worship him as spirit. And in truth, you will have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And you will be thankful to him. And, and that gratitude will be expressed in worship. And so now he's preaching and clarifying the truth of the gospel. And the woman says to him, I know. See, people are already kind of prepared a little bit. I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the one that's been declaring all things to you right now. These truths I'm declaring to you are spiritual and spirit. And somehow through the Holy Spirit, she was able to put together the conversation And receive it and believe it because that's what it takes to encounter Christ is a is a revelation of Christ, him revealing himself to you and him him revealing himself to me. And if you never ask Christ into your heart, it's a simple matter of just getting along and saying to him, I need you. So um, that was number eight, right? Or number nine. No, number nine is here. Huh? What number? Because uh, we got to conclude. Y'all better give me the right number so I can get, get out of here. <laughs> oh, whatever number was, you, you know it was an obstacle. And so at verse 27, at this point, his disciples came, and, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. See, see, it was a cultural thing. But yet none of them said to him, what do you seek, or why do you talk, speak with a woman or well, speak with her? But look, we got across the barrier of taking it to other people. I believe that's number nine. Isn't it? Or is that number 10? I think that's number 10. So the woman left the ref th- I heard that. Amen. Number 10. It's number 10. So the woman left her water pot. And went into the city. And said to the man. Come see a man. Who told me all things that. I have done. This is not. The Christ, is it literally says, isn't this the Christ? It's more like she's asking a question with an affirmative. And they went out to see what she was talking about. We're crossing all kind of barriers when we we start trying to proclaim the gospel. We're wrapping up now. And you guys glad. But we got to be willing to go where people are we got to be able to cross gender lines, and we got to be able to talk to people with pronouns and say, you need the gospel. You got, we got to be able to cross cultural differences. You dress different, look different. My daughter, she's really looking different today. She's got uh, purple hair and blue hair and braids, and she was cute. It's a different culture for me, but I love her, and don't you talk about her. And, and we gotta cross religious barriers. Forget all that stuff. It's about the kingdom. We gotta cross this cultural, ethnic differences and preferences. And it's funny how we all get together around food and music. It don't matter what your color is. You got some good food, some good music. I'm getting some Chinese. They got a new place here called, uh, in, in Montgomery called Yummy Yak. You need to go check it out. I think it's like Korean or something. It's good. (laughs) Lord, I'm confessing my sins. (laughs) (laughs) And so we got to cross those barriers. And when people get obstinate and act all indignified, we still got to say, yeah, but we got the truth. (laughs) And then we got to confront them. Hey, how's that working out for you? Doing it your way. The Bible calls that sin. And then we got to tell them, clear it up. They don't understand the gospel. I told this guy, I said, hey, on a scale from 1 to 10, you know for certain you're going to heaven. He said, I ain't going to heaven. I'm going back to God. And I said, wouldn't that be heaven? (laughs) He, He looked confused. I'm clearing it up. And that's what God has assigned us to do. Only you can do that. And it's not Kevin's job. Because your testimony to the people in your sphere of influence is going to affect them in ways that Kevin could never affect. So when they come to church, they should be coming to church having a testimony. I was out with my sister or my friend, and she was telling me about Jesus, and I never understood it, and I accepted it. Now I want to join church. Kevin, will you let me join church? That's how he ought to be going, wow. It ought to be 20 of you guys doing that. A hundred of you guys doing that. Okay, I'm getting ambitious. (laughs) So then the disciples come back and they say to him, hey, have you eaten? And he says, I got food that you not know of. And he was like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's the conclusion of the matter. Are you committed? Am I committed to doing the will of him who sent us? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth thy kingdom come the gospel thy will be done on earth because once this is over praise the lord bro aren't we looking forward to that day he coming soon bro i don't know if you understand that but i'm looking at the signs the birth pains are all over the place and i'm looking forward to the day i can put this behind me but in the meantime i want to be a part of the gospel movement so jesus said to them Look, and when he's saying them, I heard commentators say while he was talking to them, the people were coming up and they could see from a distance from where they were sitting. All the people coming from the city, he said, the fields are white to harvest. I go to Kenya, people by the thousands want to hear the gospel. They want to grow. They want to know how to share their faith. And I was in the bank and I conclude this past week cuz you know I'm I'm saying God what you doing can you can you do it here and so part of bringing up the gospel is having springboard conversations that's how you do it you 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 don't just start out with people you save <laughs> you better get saved i'm telling you so the teller's behind the counter, and I'm like, wow, that's African. I was just in Kenya. That's so cool. You look just like they look over there. She said, oh, I want to go someday. Tell me about it. So I start telling her all about Africa. I said, it's so great. And, uh, and I said, man. She said, well, what were you doing over there? Aha. <laughs> I was telling people about the Bible and Jesus. And By the way, do you have a good church you're going to? No. Well, you mind if I ask you two of the greatest spiritual questions you'll ever be asked? And I start with the one in the ten, and if you stood before God, and he asked you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, can I share with you in one minute? Because it was like nobody in there, just me. Like one minute. And I went through five quick things. His grace is free. We're all sinful. God loves us, but he has to deal with sin. Jesus is the only answer for that sin. And you have to put faith in what he's done. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. You can pray a prayer like I prayed. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me the person. I could see her almost mouthing the words as I was saying it through the plexiglass. And immediately she said, I'll be there. And so, so I got fired up. So then the lady was opening a new account for me. I asked her the same stuff. But she got to the prayer and she said she wasn't ready. And I said, cool. But maybe you should come visit our church sometime. She said, okay, maybe, you know, but maybe not. And and so I run off and forgot my ATM card for the new account. So I go back the next day, and my pastor that I've been uh, associating with, he banks at the same place. So I'm on my way there. I'm right there. I said, well, come on. I want you to meet these ladies. So he comes, and then I go introduce him. I said, this is the pastor. They got all excited about meeting him, and they gave, he gave them their cards, and they're talking about coming to church. And I'm like, wow. So the conclusion of the matter is the people gathered to Jesus and they interact with them. Jesus ate with them, dined with them, let them get intimate with him. And then they came to the conclusion on their own. This truly is the one. Jesus, the savior of the world. He started a gospel movement in Samaria. Maybe God still wants to start a gospel movement through Grace Clanton in Clanton, Alabama. I mean, Samaria, a little place for out. Clanton, a little place for out. And maybe every soul in Clanton, hearing the gospel clear, ought to be a, a goal for this church a gospel movement, crossing the barriers, and so that they will be able to say for themselves, this truly, this Jesus is truly the savior of the world. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of your truth. Uh, God, I I just pray for your patience and grace for those who have kind of took a little too long, but help us, God, to grab on to the, the main points, and leave here different, and leave here with a commitment, leave here with an understanding that we need to believe that gospel, and believe it so much so that we want to share that gospel. But I pray, Father, if there's one person here on the sound of my voice who has never given their hearts to you, they've talked about it, they've thought about it, they know they should, and no matter how much they pretend that they have it or they're good people they know they're not and just while they're sitting here now between you and them they don't have to say it out loud nobody has to know but you and them. have them please constrain them convict them don't let them leave here with any doubt about their eternal relationship with you if you're here and you've never given your heart to jesus christ You don't know 100% for sure you're going to heaven. You can become a 10 right now. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her. It's just a matter of prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. It's nothing magical about it. It's just being honest about your sin and just saying to the Lord, Lord Jesus, Repeat these words and mean them in your heart. Lord Jesus, come to him. Turn from your way to his way. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. Please forgive me for my sin, all my wrongdoing. Lord, please give to me the free gift of eternal life. I want to make sure I'm a 10 today. I want to know for sure I will be in heaven with you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my life. Father, thank you for this time. Bless us now, Jesus, in your name. Amen. God bless you. you would, stand with us as we rejoice together.